You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. One of the biggest stumbling blocks put in our place is our friends and our family. They are huge stumbling blocks to us. As we draw closer to the Lord, it usually comes from our family and our friends that they start to get this disdain, like we've pulled away from them, like we're too good for them, like we don't want to fellowship with them anymore, which is just the opposite. And the draw and the pull that there is to return to our own vomit is huge. And this is why many, many people fail. When God gives you His Spirit and He calls you into a new life, He begins to change you from the inside. This, as Pastor Dave points out today, brings ridicule from those in your old life. Satan uses your old life and old connections to draw you back to the way you used to be. The temptation will be great if you don't cling to God every day. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10. As he continues his message, Saul experiences the anointing. You are God has given us earnest. He's given us a a taste of his inheritance. He's given us the Holy Spirit. This means we are his. We are sealed. We are his. The scripture says nothing can take you out of the palm of his hand. We are his. We belong to him. And he's given us this earnest of eternal life, the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying there. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church. The earnest. God's spirit is, he's always with us. He's always there. And we can grieve him. We can even quench him, but we can't drive him away, for he is with us forever. He is there forever. The Spirit enabled Paul, possibly for the first time in Paul's life, to have a personal relationship with his God. Remember we said that Paul wasn't very much of a religious guy? He didn't really have much time for the, for the temple. He didn't really have much time for a relationship with God. But through the Holy Spirit now, he's got this relationship with the Lord. And he's able to express it with praise and worship. But unfortunately, we're going to see that this becomes very short-lived. It becomes very short-lived because Saul fails miserably. If Saul had continued his walk with the Lord, and if he had nurtured that walk, things would have been much different. But unfortunately, pride, desire for power got the better of him. You know, I've been blessed to be a pastor here for seven years. I've been blessed before that to be an elder in Calvary Chapel Vineland for some 11 years. Before that, I was an assistant pastor at Maranatha by the Sea in Ocean City. I've seen many great and wonderful saints be raised up in ministry, be raised up and given wonderful gifts by the Holy Spirit. But I've seen these same, these same men be overcome with pride and be overcome with a quest for power. And I see them fall from grace. I see them drop out of God's will. God has to place them on the shelf because they don't become usable because their heads become too big for their bodies. Their pride is so huge. They think as if they're doing something. 
oh, if we ever think that we have anything to do with this, we're really in a bad way. We are really in trouble. And I'll say this out front. If you ever come to this church to hear me, you're in bigger trouble than I thought. You need to come to church to hear God. You need to come to church because God's ministering to you through his word, because the spirit is drawing you here. We don't go to church for a man or a woman. We go to church for God and God alone. We seek him and him alone. Because man will fail you every single time. And if I haven't failed you, hang around. It's not my want, not my want to fail you, but I probably will. Someone walking with God, praising him and worshiping him, serving him, suddenly they cease to nurture their relationship. All of a sudden, Bible study is beneath them. All of a sudden, they think they know it all. They have everything gleaned in there. I know everything. I know that story. I know that story. I know the Bible. I'm a walking Bible encyclopedia. Just ask me. I'm dying to tell you what I know about the Bible. They cease to nurture that relationship. They become prideful and desire for power. I want to be on their throne. I want to take theirs. Sound familiar? Satan, I will sit on that high throne. I will be exalted. Ooh, bad place to be bad place to be. When this happened, God has to place them on the shelf and they can't be used until they repent, until they fall flat on their face and repent to their God and ask to be restored. God can restore them. We must remember, and I'll never get tired of saying it, we must remember that our very first ministry and any ministry subsequent, our first and ministry of highest priority is us and the Lord. Out of that relationship between me and my God, between me and my Savior, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, everything else flows. Everything else flows. If I'm not in tune with him, I cannot give to you what he gives to me. I cannot do that. If I'm not in tune with him, if I'm not praying, reading my word, studying, being close to him, if I'm not doing that, what good does it do? What good does it do? Our relationship is premier. In 11.13, interesting scenario happens. Let's read 11 through 13. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? It saw also among the prophets that a man from there answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb Is Saul also among the prophets? It seems that some of Saul's old buddies got news that he was prophesying, and they scoffed at him. Look, who is it? Wait a minute. Aren't you the same guy that used to hang out with with that slattery's bar? Aren't you the same guy that used to put things up your nose? Aren't you the same guy who used to hang out with us all at the gambling hall and chase the girls? Now, come on. What happened? Did you get religion? What's going on? They scoffed at him. They spoke of him with disdain. He was the last person that they would expect to come spiritual. Sound familiar to anybody? To them, Saul was way out of character now. This was not their friend. This was not the person they knew. Saul, how come you've changed so much? How come you're so different? Look at your lives. The Lord does a mighty work in our hearts. We get new hearts. We become filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit through baptism. And what do our friends do? Oh, get out of here. 
You're killing me. Are you kidding me? That's what happened to me. They laughed at me so much, I lost all my friends. They were gone. They were gone. Right. No more partying. We went to one place with them one time. They kept on bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. Go with so we went to one time back in the old Wildwood um, Convention Hall. We saw the Grease Band. Fabulous Grease Band. It was cool. But they played a slow song, and this, and this one guy's wife comes over and grabs me and takes me out on the dance floor and wants to dance with me. And while we're dancing, she goes, why aren't you having a good time? I went, what makes you think I'm not having a good time? B and I are having a wonderful time. We're loving the music. Well, you're not drinking. Well, we don't need to drink anymore. I said, so let me get this straight. Because I'm not up on top of the table chasing after everybody's wife, because I'm not telling all the dirty jokes like I used to tell, because I'm not guzzling booze down my gullet like I used to do, because of all these other things, because I'm not in the middle of the dance floor making a complete fool out of myself, I'm not having a good time? I said, that's the old me. Oh, it's because of that church. It's because, it's because of that church. I said, you just don't get it. It's because of Jesus Christ. But they disdain at you. This is what was happening to Saul. Saul's out there prophesying. They're going, look at this guy. Get away. What are you doing here? Come on. They make fun. They laughed. And they actually becomes with a disdain. And it's interesting because the scripture actually says in 1 Corinthians that we become the aroma of death to those who are perishing. The aroma of death. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever smelled a dead body uh-huh. or something that has died. Not a very pleasant smell. He's saying that we become that aroma of death to those who are perishing. Now, to those who are looking to Jesus, we become the aroma of life, the fragrance of life. That's wonderful. One commentator said this, the smell of incense burnt to the gods in a Roman triumphal parade would be a great smell to Rome but it would be a bad smell to a captive prisoner in the parade who would soon be executed or sold into slavery. In the same way, the message of the gospel is a message of life to some who will accept, but it's a message of condemnation to others. It's the stench of death because the wages of sin is death. God has made me responsible to be his representative, to bring a message to people to which some the message is eternal life, a sweet savor unto God, life to life. But to others who reject and refuse, it becomes a message of death, of judgment. I bear God's word. I don't fool with God's word. I preach it as it is. But it brings judgment upon those who refuse, judgment upon those who reject. That's not my judgment. It's God's judgment. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the one delivering the news. To believe and receive means life. To reject means death. You imagine the pressure to bear that kind of a message? The pressure that we have upon ourselves to bear that kind of message, teaching of God's word that we have that hangs on the balance? Dare I mix one word? Dare I change a word in God's word so it would be a little bit softer on your ears? So it would kind of mesh the message just a little bit, make it a little bit more gentle? No, I can't do that. Two reasons I can't do that. Number one, I can't do that to you. And number two, I can't do that to God. Change it around. Number one, I can't do that to God. And number two, I can't do that to you. You get the picture? I'm bound by what I do. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said. Woe to me, the gospel. And that's what we're dealing with here. 
That's why it's so important that we teach the message clearly, that we teach it plainly, and that we back up what we say with our lives. You know, those old friends of yours who've been scoffing at you since day one, since you went back and told them you were born-again Christian. What born-again? Get out of here. Well, what they want you to do, they're trying to get you to fall into place. They're trying to get you to slide into their area so they can say, see, that was just a time, one-time shot. They would love nothing that you go back and join them once again. But a person's eternal life is at stake. Your eternal life is at stake right now, and mine is also. And that's a responsibility that I've chosen, that God has given to me. If I get too much of my personality into it, and you might find my personality obnoxious, and the message fails. It's offensive. It's obnoxious. It's a savior of death. The heavy responsibility that I have bearing this message because of life and death, so heavy that Paul said, who is sufficient for such things? Paul said, who is sufficient for such things? Well, you know, God is sufficient. God is sufficient in all things. It's eternal life we're talking about. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. God is sufficient, and it's his sufficiency that I depend upon. So they had a saying, is Saul among the prophets? Question mark. This was not a praise. This was a put down. Is Saul among the prophets? (laughs) One commentator I read said, in other words, basically they're saying, I'll hear Saul prophesy when pigs fly. Basically they were saying, this can't be. This is nuts. And... Many prophets inherited their ministries of prophecy from their fathers. Hence, the next question, who is their father? Who is their father? So you can see that immediately this becomes a stumbling block in front of Saul, his friends. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the biggest stumbling blocks put in our place is our friends and our family. They are huge stumbling blocks to us. As we draw closer to the Lord, it usually comes from our family and our friends that they start to get this disdain, like we've pulled away from them, like we're too good for them, like we don't want to fellowship with them anymore, which is just the opposite. And the draw and the the pull that there is to return to our own vomit is huge. And this is why many, many people fail. Because, listen, if I say the word peer pressure right now, majority of you are going to think of a teenager. The majority of you are going to think of someone in school, elementary school, middle school, or high school. But I guarantee to say peer pressure is every bit as strong in our age as it ever was. Still as strong. Go back to your old crowd and try it out. Peer pressure is right there. Come on, be with us. Return to the old life. Come on, have a good time. Have a good time. Our sufficiency is in God. In verses 14 through 16, it says, Then Saul's uncle came and said to him, his servant, Where'd you go? So he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but... About the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Interesting. Interesting. 
Paul returns to it. Saul returns to his father's farm just as if nothing had happened. He goes back to the father's farm. He didn't tell him about the anointing of king. And evidently, the news of him prophesying didn't get down to Gibba. It didn't get back down there so far. I think this is really cool, Saul. Samuel had told him to wait for seven days, and he would come, and he would tell Saul what he was supposed to do. Saul kept everything to himself. I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that. Maybe he knew his friends and families wouldn't believe him. Maybe he thought that if he announced it, people would think he was crazy. He might even be stoned to death. So he was waiting for Samuel to make this great announcement to all of Israel, a coronation, so to speak, to to tell him and bring him before the people. You know, sometimes God speaks to us in many, many different ways, and sometimes it's difficult for us to remain silent after God has spoken until the proper time. But I think if we are slow to speak in various things, it allows our heart to prepare what might be said. Maybe Saul was like Mary, Jesus' mother, when she was told that these things happened, what did she do? She pondered them in her heart, it says in Luke 2. She pondered them in her heart. She didn't go around, oh, my my boy's going to be the son of God. She didn't go around telling everybody. She pondered them in her heart. And I'm sure as he matured and as different things happened, she thought about those because Scripture tells us she did. She thought about those things. Maybe we should do more pondering within our hearts and less speaking to others about everything we hear. So some use it to show how spiritual they are, and I love this. People like to tell us how spiritual they are, and it becomes a badge of honor. Oh, yeah, the other day I was praying, and the Lord told me this and this, and yeah, you know, it, makes them, it gives them an uplift. It, it gives them something to think about and tell about. We want to know and tell people how spiritual we are. There is time for testimony, and I love it. I love testimony, and I think it's great. But I want to ponder the things of God in my heart. I want to ponder them and keep them close to my vest. The experiences of the last several days have taught Saul that God was with him at all times. It should have taught Saul that God would supply all his needs, and he should have been content. Saul should have been content with the promises of God because God would do these things if he only would trust and obey him. If Saul would only trust and obey, and the same thing goes for our lives, we too have these same promises. We have these same promises. I can take you to the New Testament where you see these same promises. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, it says, He will never leave nor forsake us, and He is our helper. This is where our contentment is. Our contentment is in the fact that God will never leave nor forsake us. David knew this. He wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the fact that God's shepherd was like a care to him, it ended all his dissatisfaction. And he said, I shall not want. It's both a declaration and a decision. I shall not want means all my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd. I shall not want means I decide not to desire more than what the Lord gives me. I love that. Paul had the right idea too when he wrote to the Philippians in 4.11 through 13, not that I speak in regard of need, he says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everything and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment has much more to do with what you are on the inside than what you have. 
Real contentment comes only when we trust in God to meet our needs, when we trust in God to be our security. It's amazing that we are often more likely to put security and contentment in far less reliable things than God. But we do. We put our security in them like the government. So God is always with us. He'll never leave nor forsake us. God supplies all our needs, Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon thought that this verse was a great illustration of what the wonderful miracle in 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, where Elisha told the widow to empty the vessels, set them out, and pour forth the oil from one small vessel of oil that she had in the empty vessels. And you remember the story. The oil never ended. It kept on coming out. She kept on pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. All our need is like an empty vessel. Our needs are like empty vessels, and God is the one who fills the empty vessels. Empty yourself, and God will fill you. God will fill you up according to his riches. It it describes the style in which God fills his empty vessels. The oil keeps flowing until every other vessel is filled. Oil represents Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word, you know the word, it says, be ye being filled. It's a continuing filling. By Jesus Christ, it describes how God meets our needs and how as we are empty vessels, we are filled with Jesus and all his glory. You know, in, in Saul, we see God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. But we do not have to look any further than our own lives. When I think of the self, what I've been doing now these last seven years, I scratch my head to the world, to those that knew me, to those that knew my life before Christ, must think it be very foolish, extremely foolish. But that's because they don't understand our God. They don't understand God's amazing grace. They're not aware of that. God's amazing grace and his amazing mercy, he's reached out to fools like us as well. So what remains? The same thing remains for us that remained for Saul, that Saul failed to do, trust and obey. There's no other way. To be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. It saddens me to think that God allowed Israel their king. He chose a man that started out pretty well, but he ended in a terrible, terrible plight. God then was able to put the man that he would put in there all along. God has a plan. He gives to those, the leaders that they deserve. And it's sad. It's a very sad story, I think. A very sad story, you know. I feel bad. Saul makes some extremely foolish mistakes. Foolish, foolish mistakes, which we'll read about. And because of that, his son Jonathan suffers too. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.